2: He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing.
0: Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circus program. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about everything racing. Joining me in the studio are Mr. Gray Warren, Mr. Seth Eggert, and Mr. Richard Uden. Fellas, how we doing tonight?
1: Very good.
0: Alright, so Seth, I have a question for you. When was the last time we had back-to-back brand-new winners in cup racing?
1: 2007 with Casey Mears in the Coke 600 and Martin Truex Jr. at Dover.
0: Okay, so, Seth, you're wrong. The correct answer is last weekend. We had uh, Justin Haley. (laughs) I got you there, Seth. (laughs) Justin Haley. Yep, Justin Haley won the race. The race took a while to... uh, uh, to get going, uh, we started a day late. Uh, a lot of weather coming through. We had a, another weather delay. We thought we might get the race going again, but the, you know we're trying to deal with the lightning clock to make sure we're letting enough time between lightning strikes. Then the rain came again. Then they eventually called the race, and it was a, a bit of a strategy call that put Haley in the lead uh, because Kurt Busch was leading, and he opted to go in and, and uh grab some fresh tires uh right before that last uh that, that last red and the race never did resume so we've got this young man who's only got three planned cup starts for the year um as a winner in his third cup start. Um so uh Seth Gray take us through the little some of the details about the uh this Daytona race.
3: Well I mean it was it was like you said it, it took a long time to get going uh, they attempted uh, to dry the track uh, Friday night. I mean Saturday night. Couldn't ever get a get a window to to get it into. So the decision was made to uh, postpone the race until Sunday and make it a daylight race, which caused a, some some issues in in among itself there with the handling of the cars and whatnot. And just uh, added a little bit more to the crew chief's plate to try to figure out what they were going to need for, for a race. Uh, Weather was really, I mean, the whole weekend was, was hampered by, by lightning storms and whatnot, but uh, uh, it was kind of a weird kind of race when it took, when it took off. It seemed like uh, it wasn't uh, like Talladega. I thought we saw a really good race at Talladega where the cars drafted a lot and there was a lot of swapping. This seemed to be, uh, uh, you know, the, Kind of like what we saw a couple of years ago, and in, in, in some in the Xfinity series, where one line, the the bottom line, was the dominant line, and uh really the outside line really couldn't muster a move on that uh, on that lane. So we didn't have a lot of lead changes in the race. It seemed that uh, that the the cars ran in station, and some of that was because of of, of the package that they that they had, and some of it was uh. Was manufacturer orders. Uh, a lot of the the Fords uh, teamed up together, and of course the Chevrolets teamed up. And I'm sure Seth will elaborate on on, on the Chevrolet uh, uh, orders, if you want to call them that, team orders, where they their uh, racing boss met with uh, their crew chiefs and they devised a plan, which I think led to uh, to really a, a fairly you know, uh, a race that wasn't very competitive from a from a standpoint of of lead changes and passes. Uh, it seemed like they would get in a single file line. I know uh, the the second stage that Austin Dillon won, uh, they were all Chevrolets up front, and nobody made a move at the end, end of the stage to uh, to try to gain. They just decided to uh, to run in station and, and finish the way they uh, uh way they had run most of that stage. Um, but uh you know and they get back to the to the when the when the lightning came in and of course there was the big crash there that we uh we all saw where uh, austin dillon was trying to preserve his lead because there was lightning in the in the area and and teams were worried about weather and uh actually they were he was trying to maintain that lead in case the race did did end and of course. Uh, as some conjecture whether he was, uh, you know, uh, Boyer kind of slid across his back bumper and drove him down the track, or, uh, or, uh, um, you know, Austin just threw the block and continued down, and 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 actually, you know, of course, the blocking issue was was a big was a big topic all week, from the uh, from even in practice when uh, Keselowski turned uh, William Byron. Uh, when he said he just was fed up and he wasn't going to lift anymore when these cars came down in front of him, he was going to drive right through them. And of course, he he tried that practice. Well, you know, Boyer was racing back. Uh, they were all coming racing for the lead, and um, you know, Boyer wasn't going to lift, and uh, Austin kept coming down and down and down, and finally, he he got turned in front of the whole field, and we lost a bunch of cars. Um, as as it played out. Uh, Clean up from the from the wreck. Uh, you know that the, the skies were overcast. There was lightning in the distance, and the, some of the teams were debating on what to do. Uh, Kurt Busch had the lead. He decided him and his crew, his crew had decided that uh, when the one to go was given, they would come down pit road and and uh, pit the car. The one to go was given. The lights went off on the safety car, and before they had could uh, complete. The lap coming back to, uh, to uh, the start-finish line, uh, lightning appeared within the eight-mile radius of the racetrack, and the caution lights came back on. So that kind of uh, foiled uh, Kurt Busch's team, their plans for, uh, for continuing in the race. So that kind of left it, and of course, we all know the race never restarted. Uh, after Haley uh, inherited the lead, and uh, the race was called some several hours later, and we had another first-time winner in the uh, Cup Series.
1: Now, to be fair, uh, first off, starting off with Kurt Busch, uh, no one was going to make it on Fuel to the end had they been able to restart right, exactly. in the first place. So him coming down Pit Road, same with Landon Castle, J.J. Yaley, yeah. Michael Tao and a few others.
3: Oh, it was a good it, play. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was a smart play, and it was the play it was the thing to do because they were looking at big picture, and that would have cycled them back to the front when the other cars needed to pit, and that was it was a good strategy. It's just poor timing, and I mean, not on their fault, but it was just bad luck because that bolt of lightning uh came down before the cars uh could make it back uh to uh. Make a, make a, make it back around, and, of course, the caution lights came back on, and uh, that foiled their plan. But, yeah, nothing they did wrong. They just uh, – just bad luck.
1: And expanding on the uh, manufacturer orders, first off, Chevrolet, uh, the president of competition for Chevrolet, uh, Jim Campbell, uh, held a prayer, as they worded it, with all of the Chevrolet teams and all of the Chevrolet-backed teams – drivers, crew chiefs, uh, team owners, that they had to work together. And he personally called each and every single driver that was entered, along with the crew chief, along with the team owner, prior to the weekend to emphasize the fact that they need to work together in order to win. Ford, on the other hand, uh, took it a step further. Not only were they going to work together on track – They were going to work together on pit road in which every single Ford, if you pitted was going to do the exact same thing. And they organized in such a way that they were going to pit via essentially text message or um, a group chat that they all had that once they all decided to pit, they were all going to pit and announce it to each other via the message. However, it didn't exactly work the way they planned because at least for one team, Eric Almarola, his crew chief couldn't get his uh, equipment to connect to the track's Wi-Fi, so they were left out in the dark. Jeez. And it's
3: kind of, and sometimes it's kind of hard too, because when you, when when that order, when that thing comes down to pit, you got cars in the outside lane that, that sometimes can't get down. I mean, I, you know, you, if you're if you're backed up I and mean, you have to just go up the track and and completely get out of the gas, and sometimes it's impossible to do. You just get caught and have to come around the next lap. Uh, but, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a good plan if you can, if you can you know, get everybody on the same page and, and, and everything works out right.
1: Now, uh, elaborating a little bit more on Austin Dillon, uh, he's maintained since that wreck that he was still fighting to regain control of the car from when Clint Boyer dove below him. His whole reason for going up to the top lane wasn't actually to try to block, but his crew chief, or I shouldn't say crew chief, his father had told him that he and the nine, which was Chase Elliott, were clear to move up. However, by the time that message was relayed and Austin moved up, Chase was not clear. They were just actually trying to get uh, Denny Hamlin out of line and out from in between the Hendrick cars which we now, now, fail
0: Yeah, now let me just throw this out now with the manufacturers. Now, Justin Haley is a Chevrolet driver, correct? Yes. So he probably wasn't even in the conversation over the he, the working together running, the whole time. Yeah, but, he, but the, then again.
1: Running, prior to the wreck, he was running about 27th or 28th. Uh, he was in the pack uh, towards the end of the pack uh, running around with the I want to say Brendan Gong, Daniel Hamrick, uh, Eric Jones, and he avoided the wreck. He had, he basically followed Matthew Benedetto through the wreck and Ty Dillon through the wreck. Uh, the two of them, it was like Days of Thunder the way they or the three of them, it was like Days of Thunder the way they made their way through it. That wreck wiped out all of Joe Gibbs Racing. Wiped out. All of, uh, or involved all of Stuart Haas racing. Almirola ended up seventh with minor damage. And all Pensky. Uh, Penske. All for the second Daytona July race in a row, all of Penske was involved. Uh, Justin Haley only led that last lap that they weren't able to get restarted. He is the first driver since Brad Keselowski in 2009 to win a race by only leading one lap in the Cup Series.
0: Interesting. So let's
3: well, talk. Uh, let's
0: talk about well, well, Haley.
3: He's the only. He's the only, Well, what about Austin Dillon at Daytona, the Daytona 500? He, 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 he took. He took the lead coming back to.
1: Uh, but he to, led it prior in the race.
2: Oh, he did lead. He did yes. lead for the, oh, What about when he did, won the 600? Was it two
1: laps he led? I think he, he led the last two. The last two, but the Justin Haley and Brad Keselowski are the only two drivers, and right. I believe the past. Uh, 20 years, give or take, mm-hmm. to only lead one lap. I'm, and, at and, least that's and, the stats and, and, I have.
0: Right, and Haley's lap wasn't even under green. It was a yellow lap, correct?
1: Correct.
0: Right, right. So so let's talk about Justin Haley and what this means. So the, the, he's committed to the Xfinity Series, which correct. means he's not getting cut points, which means his win does not put him in the in the chase, which essentially – I mean, it it almost opens up a spot in the chase when you figure any any Cup regular uh, that wins a race is uh, is automatically entered in the chase. So this is just an anomaly. And Seth, is is this the first time that we've had a Cup winner um, in the Chase format that has not gone on to the Chase, or has this happened once or twice before?
1: For this uh, version of the playoff format, it is the first time. Uh, the only two times this has happened in which the driver was not either eligible for cup points or was not running full time. Brian Vickers in 2013 at New Hampshire and Trevor Bain in the Daytona 500 in 2011.
3: Yeah. Cause they were running a limited schedule that year.
1: Correct. Plus he was also, uh, he had declared for uh, at that time nationwide series points because he had a full year with Roush in the nationwide series.
3: Did they, were they declaring back in 2011? They, they,
1: 2011 was the first year.
3: Was the first year they had to, to declare? Okay. Correct.
0: Okay. Okay, so that's interesting, yeah. So this so this whole race in the scheme of things in the championship means very little to the overall cup championship, but for uh, Justin Haley, it's a heck of a feather in his cap to be. Be a race winner so early in his career, um, but, I mean, Seth, there, there's a history of guys who have who've won uh, particularly at tracks like Daytona and uh, Talladega, won on a fluke, and then their careers have kind of fizzled after that.
1: Well, there have been more recently, uh, say, Eric Amarola, for example, his two wins so far are only at Daytona and Talladega. However, he's been knocking on the door at other tracks. Then you have someone like Trevor Bain that his only cup win was in Daytona. Right, uh, at, at the
0: 500, yeah. Then you got a right. guy like like Derek Cope, same thing, Got a kind of lucked into a win at Daytona, but then didn't do a whole lot otherwise. Um, he
3: followed it up later in the year
0: with a win at Dover, though. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. you're right. He did, he did. Um, and
3: and well, you, know, you had Chris Buescher at uh, Pocono. He won a range short and race race. Uh,
1: Joey Logano's first win was a rain shortened race. Rain at,
0: short at New Hampshire, yes it was. Yeah, but yeah, Logano L- went on to big, bigger better, bigger better yeah. went on to bigger better things. Guys Jimmy Spencer, his only two uh wins were on uh plate races at Daytona
1: and Saladega. And then you also have been blutman uh his first win was the rain short in two thousand and nine, uh Coke six hundred and then he also won at Chicagoland, Land I want to say in two thousand and twelve. That sounds about right. Sounds about right, yeah.
3: Oh. Mm-hmm. All right, so well, once, I mean, that's, that's part of it. I mean, you know, you 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 race. If you can't get the advertised distance, you get to halfway, or you get to whatever. Right over now the rural, stage rural states, two. Now stage and two. And stage two. And if, if those if that criteria is met, and the weather comes in, then NASCAR NASCAR generally makes every attempt they can to. Uh, to restart the race and sometimes mother nature does not cooperate and they have to call the race. And, uh, uh of course, I don't know. I heard some, uh, some, some people on social media say that the sun came out. Uh, I forget about an hour after the race was called. And, uh, then of course they argued that, that, you know, track had lights, but there again, they have been there for, they have been there for two days attempting the attempting to, uh,
1: they have to be in Kentucky on Thursday morning.
3: Right, right, yeah. Back home and everything. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that go into it. Plus, too, I'm sure that, uh, you know, that, that they, they have meetings with the TV executives. Does TV want to uh, uh, want supplant their programming for uh, another six hours in the day uh, to continue broadcasting? Uh, sometimes that's not feasible. So yeah, there's a lot of things that come into play, and NASCAR generally makes 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 a good attempt at uh, trying to trying to to get the advertised distance in, but sometimes it just it just doesn't work.
0: Yeah, the interesting thing, I, I mean, you know, I've i often tell you I torture myself by reading social media comments, but the <laughs> the dumbest one I read was somebody complaining about the lightning clock. And, and how that's cuz oh that's NASCAR shooting itself in the foot again I'm like no I'm
1: like no I said I
0: said if you were to uh, just google lightning safety it kind of tells you it's a well-established well established guideline wait 30 minutes from the last observed strike before resuming right. any outdoor yeah, activity so but I just can I just can't believe somebody wants to wants to throw that uh, as NASCAR? NAS, exactly. Part
3: school, that's part of high school and collegiate sports. Any yeah, any do. any organized NASCAR any any
0: organized NASCAR. outdoor activity, yeah, thirty minutes is a guideline. So like I just can't good. believe somebody wants to throw NASCAR under the bus for that because I mean, yeah. just being safe. I mean now, think Pocono twenty twelve, you know.
1: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, you gotta, you know, we do that all the time. I mean, you know, I call high school baseball and High school football games all during the during the season, and, and that is uh, very commonplace. When there's lightning uh, in the area, uh, the the game is suspended until uh, until and you go into that lightning clock, and it's 30 minutes from the last strike. So if you continue to get strikes, that clock restarts every lightning bolt that is that is within the the eight or nine mile radius of the uh, of the
0: facility. Right, yeah NASCAR absolutely did the right thing there so now Seth let's talk about this perceived conflict of interest with Spire Motorsports because they have been a couple of I've read a couple of articles that say it's nonsense and a couple of other things that say there's something to it but to go ahead and explain uh, to us and our listeners what the perceived conflict of interest is and, and who Spire Motorsports is and uh, who they represent.
1: Well, first I'll start off with who they are. It's an offshoot of Spire Sports Plus Entertainment, which is a public relations firm that works not only in NASCAR, but in other sports, uh, including IndyCar and Stick and Ball. I'm sure there's others, but sticking just to motorsports in particular, they represent Hendrick Motorsports. They represent Ganassi. They also represent Toyota as a whole. On top of that, they represent personally Justin Haley, who won, Kyle Larson, Ross Chastain, Garrett Smithley, Landon Castle, James Hinchcliffe, and a few others. Now, the issues with the so perceived conflict of interest is because they're competing regularly against their own competitors, first off. Second, they've supposedly had a checkered past Uh, They're actually named in a lawsuit by one of their former drivers, uh, Brennan Poole, who had an opportunity to move to Cup with DC Solar, and this is before the uh, DC Solar fiasco happened, uh, that he had an opportunity, because that was his sponsor, to move up to Cup with Richard Childress Racing for a full season. Apparently, somewhat... At Spire gave one amount, someone at RCR gave them a different amount, and Brandpool ended up without a ride. And he blames DC Solar and Spire, which, in all fairness, that's something for the courts to decide. That being said, uh, when Furniture Racing was essentially up for sale, its char was up for sale. Barney Visser, who used Spire, went to the owners of Spire Sports and told them that they should buy the Charter. They, in turn, went and sought advice from Rick Hendrick and Chip Ganassi before they even went to buy the Charter to get permission to because they didn't want the conflict of interest. On top of that, NASCAR is the final say for all transfers and sales of charters. So the whole conflict of interest story, I understand where it came from, but a lot of these facts didn't actually come out until uh, Monday and Tuesday this week. So once I heard, you know, these facts come out, I understand it. Now I was, I'll be honest on Sunday. I was a critic today not so much
0: all right now gray you've been in the sport a long time do you see any conflict of interest here or uh, or or do, you, or do you feel like this is you know well
3: you get, you'd have to define to me what their role is with each team or you know obviously they are contracted by the various teams and various individuals to do promotional work uh, PR work promotional work, um, um, for those teams are they doing any agent type work where i'm talking sports agent type work where they right. are getting uh going in and, and negotiating deals that's, with potential sponsors
1: that's now, what that, they were doing with brennan Poole, which well, is how he lost his ride
3: now that that right there opens a, that open right there that would open a potential conflict there because when you've got people uh you know you are working within a company that are going out and selling selling to potential sponsors. That, that could us, that could be a slippery slope. Now if you just get running a P, running PR for these guys, where you're doing their media and, and things like that, that's, that's a totally different thing there. You're doing promotional stuff, uh, maybe doing a marketing campaign uh, uh, for them or something like that. But where you go in and you're a- a- actually uh, working as a uh, bona fide agent, where you're trying to secure sponsorship for these teams, that could be, uh, you could get in situations where that could be construed as uh, a as, uh, uh, conflict of interest. Particularly if you've okay. got, uh, you know, trying to find sponsors for several sponsorless teams, you uh, and you represent uh, two different or three different car owners and you know, uh, you know what the budget is for each team and you're, you know, th- that could be kind of, uh, kind of, be kind of tough, you know, my, I think.
1: My understanding is uh, as recently as 2017, 2018 they were the agent or agency uh, in that term for Kyle Larson, Ganassi, and uh Brennan Poole, at least until two thousand eighteen when he lost his ride because of the original DC Solar Fiasco, mm-hmm. not the one that cost Ross Chastain his ride earlier this year.
0: Yeah, now wasn't there yeah, something involving Ganassi a few years ago? Is that is that the same one?
1: That's the one that I'm talking about right now. Right, uh, right,
0: yeah. I, he, I remember that was that was a pretty big deal and that guy is I think his lawsuit's still pending. He,
1: it's still pending. It's currently driving part time in the Truck Series for On Point Motorsports.
0: Yeah,
3: and it, it just seemed like, seemed to me that, you know, obviously you can do you can do it above board if you go out and, and these and, and and this spire would go out and shop uh, shop their uh, their client to potential sponsors. Obviously, you'd have teams would have certain ceilings and 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 a floor and a ceiling with what they would take, what they would need, and of course they could go and, and, and try to try to fill the order, if you will. Um, but um...
1: now there's a little bit more to it with Spire because some people view it as just a money grab situation because it's the charter is one of the three most lucrative charters right now. Uh, the payouts to the teams is based on the charter and more specifically where that charter finished in owner points the previous three years. It right, and,
0: and yeah, and we're, so we're talking a cup championship team.
1: Yes. the uh, Justin Haley, uh, Adam Stern from the Sports Business Journal somehow got hold of this information. Just, Justin Haley uh, earned 5% of the purse winnings And that's not including the charter uh, information. He earned $125,000 for his win. The purse was $5 million. The charter uh, essentially means that they're probably getting somewhere around 10% of the purse, give or take. Now, the owners of Spire Motorsports took out a $6 million loan from the bank to buy the charter, it they being, bought.
3: But they bought Bernie Visser's charter.
1: Yes. So.
3: That's a, yeah, that's, that's kind of weird. But you, well, you you might might elaborate on on this too. How some charters are worth six million and some are worth considerably less. It
1: it depends on where they finish the last three years in points because right. the uh, payout system for each race, let alone the end of the year. Is determined by that. Right. So although so, Spire has been finishing 28th or worse, they've been earning somewhere around the fifth to tenth most money uh, out of all of the charters.
3: I got you. That so that make, that makes sense there because that 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 purse was was worth more say than when Tommy Baldwin sold his because uh, of the success that uh, the 78 team had, had had. That that success goes with goes
1: with the, uh, with the
0: charter. Correct. Okay. Interesting stuff. I tell you, man, I tell you interesting stuff. So we'll just have to see how all this plays out. I mean, obviously somebody at NASCAR signed off on the purchase of the charter and they felt like everything was, was on the up and up and I haven't heard any rumblings, you know, coming from NASCAR. It just, you know, just from a few journalists here and there. So, but, uh, let's talk about there were, um, Xfinity race, uh, there as well, and we had a, another disqualification, did we not?
1: Yes, AJ Almendinger was disqualified from third. Uh, Richard, I think you might be able to elaborate on this a little bit more, or Gray, you might be able to. Uh, he was disqualified because the engine failed to hold a vacuum.
3: Yeah, they uh, they pee what you, they, they use a thing they call PNG that they use to they can through a formula they can check cubic inches and that kind of thing and, and and of course they can see if the engine is is sealed up to where it's not sucking air one of the old tricks in the uh in the garage area was to uh make uh things kind of porous in and around the uh intake manifold stuff to where they could draw air additional air in from from various places so that may have been uh you know um uh, what some of that, uh, some hijinks there, we don't
1: know. Now, he had won a stage because All su-
3: of his... Or suspected hijinks, I'm going to say. Yeah. I mean,
1: I <laughs> now, order, yeah. now, he had won a stage because he was disqualified. That stage win now goes to second place in that stage, Michael Annette, who is running for a championship. He is locked into the playoffs via his win at Daytona back in February. Mm-hmm but it does catch him up ever so slightly to the other drivers when it comes to playoff points.
3: Right, because when you go, when you look at uh, the Xfinity Series, basically you've got, you had, what, just four regulars that had wins uh, in the series going into Daytona the other night. You had uh, what they call the big three.
1: And uh, Michael Annette.
3: And Michael Annette with one win. The other ones had what had four, four, and three. So, uh, uh, yeah, so that's... Um, that'll, that'll affect, that'll help, help him a little bit too uh, with that. And going back to the cut deal, you know, where you talk about, you know, Haley's uh, win is not really going to upset anything and that thing, what it did, what it did do, it did prevent guys like uh, 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 Austin Dillon and Ryan Newman and some of those other guys that are, that are uh, either below the, right on the cut line or below the cut line that really need to win to get into the chase. And, uh, you know, it's one less event, uh, you know, by the wayside that, that they have one chance that, that is gone for them to kind of uh, to get into the show. So that, that you know, Haley did take that from them.
1: Now, something else I do want to mention both on the cup side and the experience side real quick is some of the drivers that had career best finishes, William Byron second, Corey LaJoy sixth, Matt Tiff, ninth in the Cup Series. Over in the Xfinity Series, uh, Stephen Light, if you remember him, got Mm -hmm. his first top five since 2007. Brandon Brown got uh, his career best finished 6th. Matt Mills in 10th. Vinnie Miller in 11th. And Stephen Parsons, making his Xfinity Series debut, finished
3: 12th. Yeah, that's an interesting story in itself, because... He got he got the call late.
1: Yes, uh, he did.
3: He yeah, had to uh, do that, and he actually he was he was he was a mechanic on one of the other teams, and got the call late to fill in. And uh,
1: his debut was originally scheduled for Iowa later this right. year.
3: Mm-hmm. When, how did he get uh, cleared to run Daytona? Uh, he's he ran.
1: Arca. He ran Arca Taldega. Okay. Oh, I'll, I think he may have started and parked that race. I forget. I'll be honest. But he still ran that anyway. Uh, somebody else I do want to mention in the experience here is Ryan Sieg. Uh, he had a sponsor on board this week, CMR Roofing. They have signed on for five races this year, and it was announced they are going to sponsor him full-time next year. That is a family-owned team with only seven employees at in Daytona, this week in Iowa, a couple weeks ago, has finished 16th or better all season.
0: Well, good for them. If only seven employees, that means almost everybody on the team has to go over the wall.
1: <laughs>
0: pretty much, yeah. So.
1: Pretty back, much.
0: Pretty much. Back to your point about the guy who was a mechanic and they put him in the car. Um, isn't that how Ricky Bobby got his start?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just, I just, I'm just saying, but but good, good for him. though. great finishes for those. Uh, you know, yeah. you always, we always love the stories about the, the little teams and the little guys doing well. And this, this weekend has had a bunch of that.
1: Stephen Parsons, just real quick. Uh, that is the son of, uh, broadcaster Phil Parsons. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So we are off to Kentucky this coming weekend. Triple header, all three series in action. Um, what's uh, what's a Kentucky preview look like for uh, for us guys? Seth, you were talking about uh, we're, we're going to use some uh, some of the um, uh, what do you call it? The,
1: the traction compound. Traction uh, compound. Yeah, track by PJ One. It's had a number of different names. Uh, I believe they're using track bite this time as the terminology.
0: Now, are they applying that to the whole track or just the upper groove or the lower groove? or?
1: I want to say they're applying it to the whole track at Kentucky. I know at New Hampshire, where they're also going to apply it in two weeks, they're applying it to the lower and upper groove. And at Pocono in three weeks, they're applying it to all three turns.
0: Okay. okay that'll be interesting yeah kentucky was a bit of a snoozer last year i mean martin truex just pretty much led almost every lap and then there was precious precious little passes for position and things so if they can you know maybe maybe get a second groove there at kentucky uh, i mean it's the track used to produce some really good racing and then they went and reconfigured it you know they, they narrowed turns one and two um so uh, hopefully this will this will help improve the show. I know last year was a bit of a disappointment, uh, but again it's it's a wonderful facility. It's a nice track. Uh, hopefully we'll we'll have a good show.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we'll see more of what we we saw like at Kansas and and uh, a little bit at Chicago. Uh, I think the rules package will allow you know the cars to be fairly competitive. Of course, we we throw in the traction compound, and, then, and then of course that adds another element to the, to the weekend, but uh, we can all hope that we're going to see a good race. I still think we're going to see the, the, the usual suspects rise to the top there. I think we'll see, uh, see Kyle Bush, uh, you know, uh, Joey Logano, Martin Truex, uh, Harvick, Harvick uh, will be tough. And, and I'll tell you what, one thing the Chevrolets have been somewhat resurgent uh, in, in, the, in the past few weeks. Uh, You know, you got William Byron's been running good on the mile-and-a-halves, and, and of course, also uh, uh, Alex Bowman, you know, of course, coming off a win uh, a couple of weeks ago, but he's had uh, several second – what, three second-place finishes prior to that on the mile-and-a-half. So, yeah, uh, I I expect a competitive race.
0: All right, and Richard, you've been awful quiet, so – (laughs)
2: <laughs>
0: let's bring you into the conversation and let's uh, let, let's have you uh, have the first pick for a Kentucky winner
2: Kyle Bush. Kyle
0: Bush, okay Seth who do you like
2: I'm gonna go
1: with William Byron again three first-time winners in a row which I don't know the last time that happened if that's ever happened they would also be the first Chevrolet win at Kentucky okay yeah. true
0: yes it's 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 been consistently for in Toyota, Kentucky, yeah, and Toyota is hey you know Kentucky's in the backyard of of Toyota of uh, Georgetown, Kentucky, where they make the Camry, and they are really um big promoting you know for uh x to make it three three in a row for toyota so but um yeah it'd be uh, it'd be fun to see Chevrolet rain on their parade, I suppose um gray, who do you like for Kentucky
3: Ah uh. It's hard to go against Truex. It really, really is. But I tell you, I got to feel that you know that the four car is on the cusp of, of winning. You know, he's he's had had a good car at Chicago, uh, got in the fence, uh, and and we kind of ruined his chance at at winning that race. I'm, I'm going to say, you know, at some point he's going to have to he's going to have to get the monkey off his back. So I'm going to go Harvick.
0: Yeah, he's, he's way overdue for a win. He sure is. Uh, okay. So, uh, well, since you guys left him for me, I'll go with uh, Martin Truex. Um, say he goes three in a row in Kentucky. And, uh, again, you've got all three series in action, all night races. We've got the trucks on Thursday, Xfinity on Friday, and the cup cars on Saturday. And, Richard, the um, Formula One? Yep. Formula One will be in your home country coming up here, it so let's, be, yep. let's talk a little bit about Silverstone, preview that race a little bit, and there's there's a little announcement on uh, Silverstone and its uh, continued um, presence in the series. I'll let you uh, break Correct. the news.
2: So today on, uh, on Wednesday, it was announced that uh, Silverstone has a contract for the British Grand Prix for the next five years, uh, so that means this time next year we'll be discussing about it not having a contract anymore. Um, No matter what they do, they're always discussing it. They're always discussing it not being at Silverstone. Um, There's been a lot of talk of having a race in London, the streets of London, which is very much in the in the vein of what I think Liberty are trying to do, get the sport into the city centres, into the the marquee cities around the world. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens uh, to that. But anyway, real 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 quick, did
0: did did Formula E put on a race in London or no?
2: They have done so. They use the uh bat what they call Battersea Park, which is around Battersea Power Station, which is a very famous uh part of London on the south bank of the River Thames. Uh, and then at the end, I think it's next season for Formula One, uh, sorry, Formula E. They're having uh, actually the world's first indoor Formula E race at the uh, EdXL uh, exhibition center in the east of London, uh, similar area to where they had the Olympics in 2012. uh, and close to the big uh, financial districts of Canary Wharf in that area. So there's everybody's <coughs> London geography lesson for the day. Yeah, so uh, that. So
0: So it I'll is. It is. Later. It is possible to stage Formula One there. Then
2: uh, Battersea was like driving around Central Park. He wouldn't have a Formula One race there. Okay. Uh, all right. So let, let me. Round. But I digress.
0: Let me get back. Yeah. let you get back to your so original point.
2: They're not a problem. <laughs> the talk actually of the street circuit in London was down, was round downtown London and driving round Buckingham Palace and near Westminster and Big Ben and all that sort of stuff. It was all a bit of a farce, really. Uh, it would never have worked, I don't think. But um, yeah, so it's good. I think back at Silverstone, I think it's one of the, the three or four good old school tracks that typically does provide some quite entertaining racing. The weather can always be a little bit predictable in England, as I know all too well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's good to keep it there. You know, it needs the race, especially with Hamilton doing as well as he is. Uh, you know, they always get a good crowd there and, uh, you know, there's a lot of young British drivers coming through now with George Russell and, um, Landon Norris and also Alex Alban. I know he rises under the, uh, Thai flag, but he, he was born or he's, he's from English heritage, should we say? what's uh, the
3: other, what's the other venue that they use, use in the UK?
2: So there's a number of uh, tracks. I think the only I don't think any of the circuit is actually homologised by the FAA, But they have used Donington Park for the uh, European Grand Prix in the right. '93 when and Senna for, won in the wet.
0: Yeah, and, and Brands,
2: hosting, Brands Hatch and of Brands course Hatch has hosted uh, yeah. IndyCar races as well, uh, and used to use, uh, host the British Grand Prix. Neither Donington nor um, Brands Hatch are really up to Formula One standards these days. Although for club racing and uh, Deli- the, uh, like They're the both fantastic facilities. Um, But uh, just briefly mention there, Lando Norris, the news came out from McLaren today that both Ber- Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz Jr. signed up to uh, McLaren for uh, next season, which is, is good for them. I think they're both good young drivers. I think it's what McLaren needs to help build uh, going into you know, 2021 with the new regulations, a set and stable driver lineup, and they've certainly got that with those uh, two young drivers there. So it's, uh, I think that's good for good for the team and uh, you know good good for those young drivers there. Um, On to the race this weekend. Ferrari have said that Silverstone probably won't be a strong track for them. Meh, getting the excuses in already. Um, uh, so we'll see what happens. Um, you know, obviously you imagine Mercedes will be pretty quick. Hamilton always seems to find that excuse me, extra gear for his home race, um, and you'd have to put him down as the you know, they're probably the odds-on favourite to yeah. take home a record sixth British Grand Prix title, I think it'll be. Um, Is this the last race before the summer break? No, I think they've got one more, I think, Hungarian Grand Prix, maybe. That's typically the last one before the break. Oh, OK. And then okay. you come back out to Hungary, you'll have Monza and Spa of the first two posts, then you, then that's the end of the European season and they fly off around the world again. Okay. All right.
0: So, so there's, some, there's some other formula One silly season news. The silly season starting to brew that maybe um, you know, Valtteri is going to be out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, Alonzo has got his name in the news again with uh, his, his supposed departure from McLaren mclaren and Alonso have parted ways and then McLaren, mm. uh, Alonso says oh no that's not true so uh so what, what's going on with alonzo richard you have you have so, any any inside well,
2: line or not i mean Alonso would make a great politician he loves the sound of his own voice doesn't he and he, if he's not in the news for a while and he gets upset and he'll throw a story out there that gets everybody talking about him um is he good enough still to be a current form one driver he probably is you know is he Top line driver, mm, I think he's he's probably missed that boat now. But um, you know, the guy's obviously of his you know generation standard driver. You know,
3: the thing uh, about it, you, you know, you you just made a comment, you know, that, that he likes to hear the sound of his own voice. If he had not been in the news uh, in a while, he, he likes to stir things up. Hey, the best way to stay to stay relevant is actually be in a race car racing somewhere. Oh, for sure. If, it, if for it's sure. if it's if you're not going to do Formula One. Why not, you know, why not come over here and try to I'm sure he could land an
2: IndyCar ride for the for the entire season if he, I if think he wanted it. So now these are very far fetched rumors. So I'm just going to put this one out. here. if this one comes off, then I'm going to go out and buy a lottery ticket because it's it'll be pretty amazing. So the rumor is that Vettel is out of Ferrari he's going to go back to Red Bull to replace Pierre Gasly. Because Gasly, in all fairness, has been pretty poor. Mm-hmm. You know, that's being kind on the guy. That you know, is he, kind, yeah. You know, the last two races, he's been level with his teammate or ahead of his teammate at the first lap and finished a lap down on him both times. You know, the guy is struggling. So I think that his days at Red Bull are numbered. Now, yeah, they could bring Kvyat up. Alban's probably too young. So... Now, from what people at the track have been saying, Vettel has been although Vettel is a Ferrari driver, pre pre race and post race weekends he's been spending a lot of time in the Red Bull Energy Station. Now, to a certain extent, that's natural. The guy's got friends who still work there. You know, he was with the team for a long period of time and was very successful there, so he's going to have friends there. There's you know there's nothing unusual about that. But you know, people start putting two two and two together. Mm-hmm. You know, you saw that when he was at uh, Ferrari. Uh, you know, oh, sorry, at um, Red Bull the first time, as soon as Daniel Ricciardo came in there and started to, you know, put pressure on him, he jumped shit. Uh, you know, Charles Leclerc is certainly putting pressure on Vettel. You know, now is he seeing the writing on the wall and seeing that, you know, Ferrari may start to put their eggs in one basket and start to favor Leclerc over him, and he's thinking, I need to get out of here again, and, and uh, you know, Red Bull's an obvious move. Um,
3: that so would be a the door Ferrari drive.
2: Potentially. I mean, that's what they've heard. You know, if Ferrari are looking for a stopgap for one year because is Giovinazzi the sort of guy that can step up and take that ride straight away? Mm, Probably not. I I still, you know, Giovinazzi certainly hasn't made the impression that Leclerc did. Um, So that could be a possibility. Um, You know, and are you looking at Mercedes? I mean, I think the way Valtteri started the season was fantastic. I think he has struggled a little bit the last foot three or four races and uh, not you know certainly not picking up the you know if you're going to push Hamilton to the championship and Hamilton's winning races you've got to at least get the second places and hope that he has a mistake somewhere. So and he hasn't been, he's been failing to do that. He's he's been dropping back and finishing outside the off the podium in some of these events. So I know he did have him at um, I think he finished ahead of him in Austria but again still not as high as he could have been. Uh, so I, I just think that, as much as I like Valtteri as a driver, there's no, partly his personality, but there's no wow factor. If you're with me, you know, there's nothing that makes you sit up and go, "Wow, this guy's good." So. Yeah, but let me, let me ask you this: Do you think
0: Hamilton prefers it that way? Yeah, well, when I want to put Hamilton in the same plane with Michael Schumacher, where Schumacher wanted a teammate that was that was capable, but yet at the same time, uh, Michael was going to beat him.
2: Yeah, for sure. No, if you if publicly, Hamilton will say that he doesn't care who his teammate is, and he'll go up against anybody. Privately, that may be very different. I. Uh, it's, it's a difficult one to give it, you know, to give an answer to. You really don't know. You'd like to think it's not the case. You'd like to think that um, Hamilton would be in the position of his career where he's prepared to go up against anybody. Uh, he, he should, but imagine you saying that he certainly has the influence in the team to make that call, I feel. You know, if he right, yeah. The I mean, same thing with Schum-
0: Schumacher at Ferrari. I mean, no offense to Rubens Barrichello. But Barrichello no, is a fine fine driver in his own right, right but he would, he would make sure that uh, he would finish behind Michael.
2: And they're all what you'd call B-list drivers, and again, right, it's not just right. You know, and and is Bartas a B-list driver? I think he's the high end of a B-list driver, but he just doesn't have that mm, that edge. And I think Hamilton maybe was a little bit off his game at the start of the season. And you know, he said at Mani, at, I keep calling it Manicor, don't I? At car you know, he said that was his best race ever. You know, he really upped his game for that weekend. And Valtteri was pretty poor outside of qualifying. Hamilton certainly had his number in the race. So I, I think it's it's telling. I think Valtteri really needs to step up between now and the break, because I'm sure a lot of these contracts do get discussed during the, the summer break, uh, as you saw with Ricardo last year and, and the Renault move. So I think from from Mercedes' point of view, if they do decide they need to look somewhere else, I think they've got Esteban Ocon as a direct replacement. Uh, I think Ocon, de- Ocon deserves the opportunity. I think he has that little bit of something else about him. He has that wow factor. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about Verstappen's contract. There's they say there's a break in the re- there's a release clause in his contract. Uh, yeah, I think it says there's the certain the- triggers. He has to the Red Bull <laughs> by the mid-season break had to be in the top two in the constructors' championship and. You know, all these sort of things. And I think
0: his uh, contract is, is only to go to Ferrari or Mercedes,
1: is, is the clause.
0: Yeah. I, I remember reading something like that. and Maybe that's not
1: uh, – I would, believe
0: it is Verstappen. He can, the, yeah. the, the, he can break the contract, but only to go you – know, like he can't break yeah. the contract and go to Williams. But why would you? Why would you, exactly. Why would you, right? So. And,
2: you know, now I think I think Hamilton could potentially veto Verstappen as a teammate. I think, I think that would be pretty. I think Hamilton would be playing a very dangerous game if he were to pick Verstappen as his teammate, personally. I think that uh, Verstappen is a phenomenal talent. And, you know, I think Hamilton is certainly wary of him as a competitor and a teammate.
0: Yeah, and I don't think Hamilton is ready to go anywhere just yet. I mean,. You know, people want to no, say, I mean, hey, he you, yeah, you, you've accomplished all done. you can. But I I, I I, see Lewis breaking every Grand Prix record ever made. And it's only going to take possible. him a few more years to do it.
2: I think if he sticks at, around at the for current, another three years. Yeah, uh, I and mean, the, the current big, rate, the, yeah. The big unknown, obviously, is going to be 2021. Um, yeah, the
0: new rules package. With absolutely, all
2: that yeah. So, you know, that'll be the big change. Now, you could see, you know, how Mercedes – came in and dominated the hybrid era, somebody comes along and, you know, McLaren, for example, with their resources, come along and create a, you know, magical car for 2021. And and Hamilton's struggling down, fighting for the scraps and the points. Is that going to keep him motivated? I, I don't know. And, and Hamilton, it's strange, isn't it? Again, we're talking about people that like the sound of their own voice, uh, you know, like it when they're in the news. You know, Hamilton tries to play offices off as, as, as if he's a bit of this enigma. Um, you know, he's a man of... Mystery and nobody can read him, and all this sort of stuff. And uh, you know, he talks about leaving and you know, retiring. But I, I can see him at least being around for at least another two and a half years. So to the end, I don't know when his contract runs to, but I can see him at least you know, running out his contract. Um,
0: yeah, he's not that old, right? He's he's what, 30? Uh, he's
2: 33. Yeah, I was gonna say, maybe? yeah, he's
0: relatively young. Yeah,
2: thank you. He's just a bit younger than I am, so I'll, I'll take that as a compliment.
0: Quite a bit uh, younger than Gray and I. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say that, but you
2: know. Um. <laughs> and,
0: he, and, he, and he's
2: older than Seth. Well, yeah, most people are older than Seth, aren't they? In goodness <laughs> me. But no, it's, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, Hamilton, you know, he can do whatever he likes, really, can't he? And I think he's probably him and Verstappen are the two drivers that can do whatever they like now. I don't think Vettel can anymore. I think his reputation has been tarnished a little bit. Um. Outside of those two, I think – outside of Hamilton and Verstappen, I think they can do whatever they like. Vettel probably couldn't go to Mercedes for free if he wanted to. He couldn't no. go You know, – he'd have to really negotiate a contract with Red Bull if he wanted to go back there. I think he could yeah. go back to Red Bull if he wanted to because, again, I still believe they're looking for a second driver.
0: Yeah, and, and again, like I said, I really feel like um, Vettel's probably on the outs with Ferrari. I mean the more and more – you know, you read between the lines, and even even Vettel was saying something about is the contract is only as good as the paper written on. Although he's supposedly contract is through next year, even even he's beginning to publicly say that maybe that's not the case. I think I think maybe Ferrari is is um, putting a, a close to the Vettel era. So.
2: But then you got, you know you look at Ferrari and say, well, okay, post Schumacher you had two marquee era is one of a better word, the Alonso and the Vettel era. And both of them have been fruitless. You know, both of them have come up short. Um, yeah, yeah, the only guy to win a
0: championship with Ferrari has been Kimmy. Yeah,
2: you know, and, and that was a bit... Oh, okay. Yeah, it was, <laughs> a little, it was
0: a little bit of a fluke. Yeah, I think he was... Yeah, uh, that, was then, a, you know,
2: that was a three-man
0: three, three battle going into the... Yeah. And he was the, uh, the one with the, the longest, longest shot.
2: Yeah. So, you know, Ferrari to a certain extent have... You know, you could argue that they've... Taken, you know, if Vettel does move on, both Vettel, I know he, you know, was obviously very successful with Red Bull, but you could argue that you've taken both Vettel and Alonso's best years as drivers in the sport and, you know, robbed us of the opportunity of seeing them compete for championships year in, year out. Absolutely. Maybe that's been a bit excessive, so. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right.
0: So let's let's pick winners for Silverstone and that'll leave us just a few minutes left to uh preview the IndyCar race at Toronto. So uh so Gray, starting with you, who do you like for Silverstone? Who else? Lewis. There you go. All right, okay. Seth. No brain, no brainer.
1: Well, since Gray took my pick, uh
3: you can take him
1: too. I mean, I know, I know. <laughs> Let's go with uh, Leclerc. Okay,
0: all right, and uh, so Richard.
2: After bashing him, I'm going to say Vettel. I'm going to say, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking... him. So that, I was thinking that the weather forecast. Actually, and the weather forecast look it could be rain on Saturday afternoon for qualifying. Sunday it looks dry.
0: Okay, so you're going with Vettel.
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: okay, that leaves me Valtteri Bottas then. I'll I'll go Valtteri. So we've got uh, all all of McLaren and or I'm sorry, all of Mercedes and uh, Ferrari locked in with our picks. So that means the Red Bull car will probably win. <laughs> <laughs> so on to uh, we've just got a few minutes left. Uh, but the Indy cars after three weeks off are back in action. We're going to be in Toronto, the Honda Indy Toronto, one of the one of the longest running races on the schedule. Uh, It's been, um, I I don't know. Okay, one of the longest-running races on the schedule, Toronto has been going since 1986, save for 2008 when it dropped off the schedule uh, after the reunification, and it was Michael Andretti who uh, uh, purchased the rights to the race and took on promoter promoter duties and revived the race, and it's been on there ever since. It's seen... um, Uh, iteration as a double header for a while but now uh, we're back to uh the traditional date we saw the date move for the international expo in in toronto but uh again it's one of the the longest durable you know most durable races in in um north american racing james hinchcliffe will obviously be the favorite there he's uh he's from nearby oakville uh and robert wickens will be driving the pace car Mm uh he'll be driving a especially modified uh, arrow car uh very similar to the one that um sam schmidt who was uh paraplegic um was able to drive with the hand controls or well, not even hand controls with uh the mouth controls and, and and brain controls i'm not sure how all that technology works but uh wiggles will be ha- be behind the wheel of that car pacing the field uh they were nice enough to uh uh, put his um, put that arrow car right in the middle of the spotter's guide under number seven his number, uh, or number six rather. So uh, it'll be neat to see Wickens there. Wickens again, a Canadian. So we've got just a few more minutes left for a pick. Um, so uh, tight street course. Uh, I've got to go with Alexander Rossi based on his performance at Long Beach. Uh, so uh, Seth, who do you like for Toronto?
1: Well, since you took Rossi, I'll go with Newgarden.
0: Okay, and Gray, what does your radar tell you about the IndyCars in Toronto? Dixon. Dixon. Good pick there, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, Richard,
2: that leaves you. I'm going to – so here's one. It's going to finish under a safety car, and Wiggins is going to win it. Okay, well, that that that... – No, let's go with – let's go – I'm going to go for a bit of a, a wild card. He's been impressive the last few races. I'm going to go with Colton Hertha. Okay, yeah,
0: yeah. Her, Herter is a, a bit of a wild card. He's uh the kid has the speed. He just hasn't had the luck other than in other than at, at Coda, so yeah. Yeah. And he's actually, you
2: he's probably been quicker at some of the other tracks than he was at Coda. Sure, yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's had some gone, uh, but, you
0: know. I mean, he was really good at the oval in Texas until yeah. Uh, you know, he ran into
2: brain fade. Dixon. <laughs> so, all right, so we are
0: just about out of time. So uh big weekend of racing this coming up, all three series uh, in action. I want to thank you, Gray, Seth, Richard. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank iHeartRadio Speaker. And I want to thank all you folks that tune in week after week and listen to us until next week. Good night.
2: W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O, that's it with dot com.
0: your website, enter website, enter your website, get your website.